Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thrilled to be able to start this Advent season, this Christmas season, with the song, Joy, Joy to the World. The whole world changed that day that you came in the flesh, and we just give you praise and honor and glory. Lord, help every man and woman, boy and girl around the world this year uh, not to just leave that baby Jesus in a manger, but to realize that he lived a perfect life, that he grew up and gave a perfect sacrifice for each and every man and woman, boy and girl who would believe. And it's in Jesus Christ we, we pray and ask this. Uh, amen. All right. Uh, please grab one of these connection cards and fill that out. And especially if you're maybe a guest with us for the first or second time, we'd love to know you're worshiping with us. So please fill that out and put that in the offering plate uh, later. And then we got a, a little uh, back to Bethlehem uh, announcement, okay? So we've still got, uh, oh, maybe five or 600 of these cards to give away. So please grab a handful and, and invite your friends and family, coworkers, uh, people you go to school with, invite those folks. Uh, there's a number on the back they can call if they want to pre-register, or they can just walk in. So either way is fine. Another uh, big, big, big uh, help you could be to us uh, with Back to Bethlehem, if you are not involved, and, and, and a lot of times maybe I'm speaking to some of our senior adults who didn't think they could be out there in the cold for four hours at a time, um, we need re uh, dress rehearsal tours to happen on Wednesday night. So if you could take about 30 minutes and come to church and just go through as a tour, maybe five or six, six or eight people as a tour, uh, that will really, really help our dress rehearsals. When dress rehearsals happen without people to guide, the timing is completely off. So we can really, really use your help. So right after the uh, worship service, Patty Hughes would be out in the commons. And if you could sign up out there, if we could get six or eight people for every 10 minutes uh, starting at 6.30, that would be great. Uh, also, for all those who are at dress rehearsal tonight, it starts at 6. We start at 6 o'clock in here. And uh, if you're a townsperson and like you're bringing your whole family, it's not extremely important that you bring the whole family tonight. Maybe mom or dad could come. Uh, and so in, instead of having the kids and everybody here for like two hours, um, just one of you come and get instruction. Uh, but we do start in here at 6 o'clock. So thanks for uh, letting me do that spiel. Okay. Um, all right, we're going to... Sing some more Christmas music. It came upon the midnight clear.
about to sing what I consider two of the greatest uh, Christmas carols on prophecy. And before we do that, the question is, why, why the big deal about prophecy of Jesus? Well, among other things, he is the only one foretold. Uh, religious leaders of the world, they just come on the scene and you begin to read about them based on what they do or what they say, but they never were prophesied. Jesus was. And every prophecy came uh, to, to fruition perfectly. Amen? And so we see that and we see, uh, here's Muhammad, wasn't prophesied. Um, Joseph Smith, no. Charles Russell, no. Sadara Gautama, I think I said that right, no. And we even threw in there for good measure, David Koresh, wasn't prophesied. No world leaders were, but Jesus Jesus was. And these two great hymns remind us of that.
And the second great Christmas carol that talks about Jesus coming is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Now, this is a little bit of a new arrangement of it. You'll, you'll, it'll be very familiar to you. Let me give you one caveat. Give it, get me started there, Deb. It goes like this. You're going to expect it to go, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus Born. Don't do that. <laughs> on the second phrase of every on the second phrase of every line, it starts on the second beat. So it's Come Thou Long Expected Jesus Born to Set Thy on, on the second phrase. I'm listening. We're going to have to do it over. <laughs> As our musicians go ahead and leave the stage, we're going to invite the McMurrays up, and they are going to share with us week one of our Advent reading. Good morning. Matthew's genealogy is saturated with Old Testament history. It was critical for his original hearers to understand the Jewish lineage leading to Christ. Every detail in the Old Testament, even from the very beginning, was pointing to a king who would come. History revolves around a king who would come, a king who now has come. (laughs) 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is the king and the center of it all. Today, we light the first purple candle to remind us of the coming of our great high priest and king, Jesus Christ. It is the candle of prophecy, and it reminds us of God's promised Savior. In Genesis, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Almighty Father, as we come before you, Lord, I just praise you for this morning and for this time in your house with this body of believers, with this um, church family, and, and God is... As we have uh, just celebrated Thanksgiving, Father, um, may our grateful hearts be endless as we think of, of all the blessings and your mercy and your grace that you have poured out upon us. But God, <clears throat> as we enter into this Advent season, um, God, may our hearts and minds focus upon um, the gift foretold of so long ago. God, we thank you for your word and uh, the truth that is in it, and God is... And uh, so we go back to the covenant with Abraham and, and the promise of the Messiah through the line of Judah, through the line of David. God, your promises are true. God, we thank you uh, for, your, uh, for your truth and for being faithful, God. And um, God, we just uh, look forward to the celebration, um, the birth of, of your son, God, the Messiah, the Savior. Uh, the King of Kings, and God, for him to come and uh, to be born of a virgin and to live a perfect life, and God, um, to go to the cross, God, that you saw fit to save broken people, broken sinners, and God, that he took our sin upon his broken body 
and God, through his blood, uh, we have redemption, and, and um, God, through that gift, uh, God, we have joy unspeakable, and God, may, uh, may we just focus on him um, throughout this day and every day forthcoming, and uh, God, we just thank you for who you are and how you love us, and uh, God, for your promises that uh, always come true, and God, we just ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. I certainly can identify with the glasses, amen, when you, when you don't have them and you're about to read something, it's pretty much over for me, it's just really blurry when I look down, well, it is a blessing to start the Advent season, it's a blessing to open up the Word of God and to study it together. Back in 2016, there were 150 conductors that voted Beethoven's Eroica, the greatest symphony of all time. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? For them to vote it the greatest of all time. This particular symphony highlighted man's struggles and challenges and victories. You know, many of Beethoven's symphonies and or writings, they were more along the lines of God's glory. But this one was about human struggles and challenges. Well, we know that... uh, instruments come together to form a symphony and and as I say that some of you men are thinking yep the wife asked me to go to one of these one time and I went begrudgingly but you know most of us would say when it's all said and done it's pretty incredible to listen and to think about what's happening in a symphony the word symphony is a compound Greek word made up of the preposition soon and the Greek word phone Uh, which uh, means agreement in sound. So it's where we get the idea of harmony, right? The different parts of the orchestra come together and they play their own music. Uh, Well, they they have different parts, but they're not just playing their own music. They're coming together. They play the same music, they just play different parts. So as they play in a symphony, they're under the leadership of a conductor. This is the picture perfect picture of the holy word of God. It's a symphony given to us. And the conductor is the Holy Spirit of God. And this orchestra is made up of prophets, apostles, statesmen, sages, and historians. They're all playing the same symphony. Just as a symphony, in a symphony there are progressions and there are movements And each part does his unique thing. Yet, when it's all said and done, it all fits into the whole. So in the progressions and in the movements, the symphony finally reaches what we call a crescendo. You're getting it, right? And this is what happens in the progress as well of biblical revelation. I really could start in Genesis And we could go all the way through the the Word of God and end in Revelation this very morning and show you the symphony of the Scriptures leading up to the crescendo. Well, we know that great symphonies should cause the soul to soar. Folks, you understand that nothing should cause your soul to soar like the Incarnation Symphony, the Christmas Symphony. 
should cause our hearts to soar. We, again, could take the whole of Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, but that's not going to be our goal, and some of you are thanking the Lord for that, because all that turkey is still on your belly, and you may get sleepy. The message of Christmas is that God not only dwelt with men, but that our God actually became a man. And so, we're going to take Matthew 1 and 2, and we're going to talk about this symphony. Instead of taking the entire Bible, we're really going to read the crescendo, aren't we? Because when you get to Matthew chapter 1 and 2, that's what we have. So the marvel of the statement that God actually became a man is difficult for us to explore. And we're going to do our best during the Advent. We're going to start today with the candle of prophecy that is interwoven through Matthew 1 and 2. And then we're going to move to the deity of Christ, meaning that he is uh, fully God. And then we're going to move to the humanity candle of Christ. And then we will see the candle of good news. And on the 19th, we'll do the good news and we'll light the Christ candle in the middle during the Lord's Supper on the 19th. That's, that's our goal. This is where we're going. But just think about this for a moment. The very one who made the universe lived a little while on this planet that he actually made. Marvel at those statements. God became man. The union of two natures results in absolutely no loss in either part, fully God, fully humanity. So full humanity, once for all in time and history, at the very heart of everything, in a world God had prepared, God came down to our level and made himself known in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, the infinite became infant. The infinite became definite. And the infinite became intimate. We, he was born a baby. Think about this. And yet, as he was born, he sustained the universe. He was 30 years old in the inauguration of his earthly ministry, yet he already existed eternally. When he was born, he was infinitely older than his mother and equally as old as his father in heaven. Can you get that in your mind and grasp the incredible wonder uh, the event where the, uh, all the axis of all the world rotates upon the event, the Christ event, the incarnation of the Lord Christ. Think about this. He died, and yet he conquered death. He's returned to heaven, and yet he's present in us through his Holy Spirit. This is the wonder and glory. J.I. Packer said, It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. So this morning, let's just focus on one part of the orchestra. Matthew would be the part of the final movement. His part would be the crescendo. Are you ready? Can this preacher preach two chapters? Joel Hayworth joked when he picked up the bulletin over the weekend. He was here with Blake and he's like, yeah, right. Two chapters. Uh-huh. I've never done that before. And the, the, the reality is we won't look at every part of it. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let your eyes fall down to verse 17. Well, I did good in chapter 1, did I not? <laughs> I haven't preached yet, so be careful. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. 
And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, let's read in honor of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Are you thinking about the symphony? If you are, you have to think about the movements. You've just passed movement one. We're moving to movement two, beginning in verse 18 of the symphony. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Prophecy candle. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Yahweh saves. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, Micah 5, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, that kind of breaks up some of your nativity scenes, doesn't it? They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to feel, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took, and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had, that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of, the father, of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. All right, here we go. You ready for the movements? Let's go fast. First, we have the introduction to the king, and that is the genealogy. And my goal is not to preach every part of that genealogy, but when you focus upon this particular genealogy, you come away quickly saying, man, what a crooked family tree. And it is. Aren't you thankful for grace? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I want you to know this morning that our God is a much greater Savior than you are a sinner. What a great God we have. And when you read this genealogy, if we were to unpack all of it, that's what you're going to see. But let's be honest, genealogies are not our favorite parts of the Bible, are they? As a matter of fact, for the most of you who are the most spiritual... You probably at least skim over the genealogies so that you can pick out fresh new names for your children and grandchildren, right? But I want to tell you, Matthew's genealogy is not boring. It actually starts in a different way than the English gives it to you. It starts really like this, the book of the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah. That's not boring at all to me. Names are news, and when you, the greater the name, the greater the news, and we're seeing, we're seeing Jesus Christ. So this phrase, the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, or the book of Genesis, is actually used twice in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 2-4 and Genesis 5-1. So this is the Genesis of the beginning of. So the writer here is tipping something off to us. A new beginning is underway. The genealogy, folks, is foundational for setting up the rest of the fulfillment of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the word Messiah, incredible, incredibly rich uh, Old Testament background. He is the anointed one. It's not Jesus' first name, Messiah, second. Like you would say David Higgs, right? It is, that's, his, that's a title for who he is. He's the anointed one. And as this title is developed in the Old Testament... You have this long-awaited Messiah who is the anointed prophet, priest, and say it, king. Thus, the Messiah would hold this threefold office. And so, as Matthew begins his gospel, he burst onto the scene with Jesus as the Messiah. He also tells us he's the son of David. This is another way of him giving us the introduction of him being the Savior, the son of David. This is another way of him saying he is the Messiah. And this is rooted in a prophecy given 
actually to David by the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Just listen. He says this to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means he's going to die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and he will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's Christ. He is the son of David. He's also identified as the son of Abraham. Again, if you were steeped in Old Testament history you would understand that the term son of Abraham would immediately bring about the connection of promised seed. This is the fulfillment of the seed which would bless the entire world. And when you get to Matthew 1, 2 through 6, we will trace, the text traces Abraham through David. And each person is included for a reason. We're not going to unpack that. Maybe one day when I preach through Matthew we will. But each person is included for a reason. A lot of scholars call chapter 1 verse 2a through chapter, through verse 6. It's called the glory and grace section. I wonder why. Well, it's because that was Israel's golden age. Everything looked pretty good during that time frame. But Katie, bar the door. Watch out. Because next it moves from David to the exile. Another 14 generations and after David, you have Solomon, and then you have the division of the kingdom. And with this division of the kingdom, you have kings in the north that are pretty much all bad. And then you have kings in the south, and most of them are bad, with a few exceptions. So this section may be called shame and disgrace. All in all, this is one crooked family tree. The genealogy is telling us a story. The last piece goes from the exile to the Messiah, which is verse 12, if you look in your text, down through verse 16. And we could call this part hope in the midst of darkness. And then, of course, we have this crescendo of the genealogy ending in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations generations. So the writer thinks it's important that he would identify these 14 generations. Why do y'all think that's the case? Your guess is as good as mine. No, seriously. He's not saying just so you don't have to count them, I'm going to count them for you. He's saying more than that. Uh, Gamatria is a term, a term that takes consonants in the Hebrew language and counts the numbers. And so thus, when you get to David, he's the 14th name given in the text. And also alluding to the 14 generations. Uh, as well, it's seven 14s or it's six sevens until the Messiah comes, which has to do with completion and fulfillment. So in other words, this is a glorious musical foundation to the symphony where we have this incredible Old Testament backdrop of the coming of the Messiah. Folks, and this is vitally important. Why? Because Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Now, it, Mark was written to Gentiles. But here it's important that Jews would read this. And if they've come to trust in the Messiah, right? Then they would understand the lineage behind it. And how God works so, that, so it bolstered their faith. If they were lost and they were Jews, it helped them see that the King is the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. And they are to trust him. So this is vitally important. 
So the purpose of the genealogy and the numbering of the generations is Matthew's way of signaling to his readers that all that preparation time is complete. The Messiah has come. Matthew then moves to what we might call a human interest story. We all like a story about the, the, the fiancé popping the question. Don't we? Say with me. We like this story, so we may call this how Jesus came. And everybody loves engagements. We all get excited when someone says he proposed or he popped the question. And this story is no different. You have this wonderful statement in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What's a very quick way to end an engagement or to ruin it? The woman's going to bear a son or a child and you didn't know it. And you're the one asking the question. Right? You're the one popping the question. So here we have Mary's condition becoming known. It's got a strange way of ruining engagements. But the Bible reveals that she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is pristine for you young people. Just think of Joseph's commitment. I could stop right here and preach on purity for a while. Could I not? Just think about Mary. Uh, my mind goes back to my own life with my wife when I was 20 and she was 18. You know, there's a difference, I'm sure, with Joseph because he was probably 25-ish maybe, I'm guessing. Mary was probably 15 or under. Still, the fact remains, you young people need to be committed to remain sexually pure until you are married. The only safe sex in this world, if I can get it off, is right there. No amens? This is it, right here. It's called marriage, to death do you part. You give yourself, ladies, to one man forever for life. And men, you give yourself to one woman forever for life. We could preach on that, couldn't we? But here's the deal. The Bible reveals, just when we're thinking, uh-oh, what's going on here? The Bible tells us what the child in her was conceived, not by man, but by the awesome Holy Spirit of God. So it, and it says again, it gives you the, the word, when it says the origin or the birth, it is, it's the word Genesis again. So it's reminding us the Genesis of Jesus Christ begins with the creative power of the Holy Spirit of God. Did y'all know this is the way Genesis 1 starts? Y'all listening? This is the way Genesis 1, 2 starts. It's the creative power of the Holy Spirit of God that hovers over the face of the deep and makes life. Think about this for a moment. So, Joseph wants to do the right thing and doesn't want to shame Mary. So what does he do? He said, I will send her away secretly. Put her away privately. And an angel appears to him and tells him two amazing things. This child is conceived how? Of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Mary's not running around on you, Joseph. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And here's what else. You're to stay with her. And when the baby is born, you are to give his name Yahweh saves. You will call his name Yahweh saves because he, Jesus, Yahweh saves, will save his people from their sins. That's the story. As a matter of fact, folks, there is no Christmas without the Incarnation. 
There is no Christmas without these words. To prove it, Matthew says, this is what was written by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. His name will be called Emmanuel. Why would he be called God with us? Because in Jesus Christ, he was God with us. Right? Let's make this simple. So, this is uh, the Emmanuel principle of God with us comes to this ultimate climactic fulfillment in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew's version of the incarnation is very similar to John's version. But here's John's version. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now he moves to the third part. I'm doing so good, aren't I? Y'all have never heard me preach and go over that amount of material. And you may not ever hear it again, right? But he moves to the third part. I've thought about this if you're writing notes. Introduction to the king, right? Genealogy. How he came. Just, just a human interest story. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're interested in that, right? And it's, it's, the, it's the historical fact. But then you move to just, I've tried my best to fix this, but look, folks, just fall on your knees. That, that's really the third movement, isn't it? Let, let's call it worship to the king because this is what happens. Now I'm going to burst up, I'm going to mess up your nativity scene. Why? Because the Bible does it, and I hate to hurt your feelings, but the wise men just were not there. They, they were not there, and so Jesus is most likely... Uh, two years old at the time, and incidentally, other than riding on camels, wearing long gowns and wearing big hats that we give them one day out of the year, we forget about what these wise men are really about, right? So, magi were probably of Babylonian origin, and since we preach through the book of Daniel, there's a really good chance that when Daniel was actually put in this position, that these wise men were in, that they learned from Daniel the word of God. That's, that's most likely what's taking place here. So their background is a background of magic and astrology. So these are not the characters you want to work into a story if you're trying your best to get a Jewish audience to believe it. In other words, this authenticates the fact that the Bible is absolutely true because if they wanted to manipulate anything, you'd leave the Magi out if you're trying to get Jews to believe that Christ was the Messiah. Well, here they are no doubt influenced by the Jews in the Babylonian captivity. From centuries past, they've become students of the Bible. So they head east. They want to bring homage to the new king. Do you see the similarities? With who? Solomon himself. Royalty comes from the east. And they would make their way to come to him. They would seek out Solomon's wisdom and actually bring gifts. And Matthew's playing notes for us in the symphony. And those notes have Old Testament echoes. In other words, Matthew is playing name that tune. And if you're queued up in your mind to the Old Testament, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I can name that tune. Like if you're walking through a convenience store and you hear just... Just two words of a song, and the song comes flooding back into your mind. You ever had this happen before? If you're, in, if you're in tune with the Old Testament, these echoes begin to come into your mind, and you only have to hear one or two notes. Then once you hear one or two notes, the whole truth comes flooding back into your mind. Well, what is this, where was this song first played about a star? Well, it would have been Numbers 22 through 24, 
And here is a pagan prophet who was hired by Balak to curse the Israelites. And actually he could not say a word until God told him to. And instead of cursing the Israelites, he blessed the Israelites. And he ended up not only doing that, but he actually turned it into a prophecy of the Messiah which is to come. Do y'all think God controls even heathens? Well, you better believe it. So it is the Magi who are studying the scripture. And Herod hears the news that there are Magi from the east. That I mean, this is big news when they're coming and looking for uh, and inquiring for the king of the Jews. And Herod says, hold on a minute. I'm the king of the Jews. I mean, who is this rival? See, Herod was uh, Edomite. He was the son of Esau. Herod is jealous. So under the guise of being interested in finding out so he could come and worship, he calls together this group of theological heavyweights. And since Herod is an Edomite, he doesn't know his Bible. He doesn't know play that. He doesn't know anything about name that tune. So what does he inquire? Well, where is he going to be born? Dummy, you're over the Jewish people and you say you're the king of the Jews and you don't know what Micah 5.2 says? It tells us completely, straightforward, that he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. So he wants him to go on their way to find him. And when you find him, he's lying, right? Let me come and worship him. Next, we have this remarkable scene. God is, uh, no doubt, in control of the constellations, Right? And he places this star supernaturally right at the place where they should go. And as soon as they come into the house, by the way, it says house, not manger scene. Right? Come into the house. They know it is the Lord. They rejoice with great joy. And they go in and they worship Christ. They fall on their knees. They bow before a baby. And they were absolutely right to do so. This little baby was God in human flesh. Amen? This little baby is God with us. This baby is Yahweh saves. This little baby, as it cries when it's hungry, is also the God of the universe who's upholding the world by the word of his power. This very act of the wise men from the east coming actually ends up fulfilling the prophecies of Gentiles coming and worshiping the greater son of David. They actually give O'Hara the slip. Because they're warned, warned by God in the dream. And then God in his providence protects his son. And the drama begins to move to the fourth movement. And the final one is the Savior delivered. Now if you read chapter 2, 13 through 23 carefully, you realize that Jesus, the baby, Christ child, has incredible parallels to... I'm waiting. Moses, right? Just as Moses would escape the edict of Pharaoh, so the baby Jesus escapes the edict of Herod. Herod is nothing more than another Pharaoh. Just as the Egyptians killed the Israelite baby boys, so also Herod would order the execution of those baby boys in the land of Judah. Just like Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ would grow up to be the deliverer. But Hebrews tells you he's greater than Moses. As a matter of fact, he actually created Moses, Christ the Son of God, the true Israel of God, brought safely out of Egypt. In other words, out of Egypt I called my son. You, you see how God orchestrated all things 
to put Joseph and Mary in Egypt so he could do what's called a reverse exodus and bring them back out of Egypt. Folks, this is not an accident. This is the God of the universe who orchestrates and controls to accomplish his holy decrees. This is the Lord God. So, the Lord Jesus Christ is the true Israel, the Son of God. And in this final movement, we see Rachel's tears in verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It is a prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 15. Uh, her tears are first represented in the book of Genesis with the shared hopes of Jacob's favorite wife. And as time went on, the tears of Rachel would then represent the shattered lives of those who were put into exile during the captivity. And then the tears would represent the oppressed lives of those who've lived under the tyranny of the Herods and Rome. This glorious picture is the last movement. And the time for tears are over. Amen? The Messiah is here. Messiah has escaped Herod. And here is the news. Herod died. Can you hear the Holy Spirit? But Jesus lives. Herod dies, but Jesus lives. Matthew tells us, as it were, keep reading. Your tears will dry up. Your hope will be revived. God is at work doing something new. So here we have these four powerful movements. They point us to four realities. Write this down. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's what the genealogy teaches us. That Christ, check this out. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. It is Christ the Lord. The New Testament will tell us that all the promises in the Lord are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord. Secondly, it teaches us that Jesus is the Savior. He is God with us. He is Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. Thirdly, He's to be worshipped and adored by all who are filled with wonder and faith in him. Wonder and faith in him. Fourth, he is the true son of God and he lives. He's no pretender king like Herod. He's the true king. So this is the symphony of the incarnation. God became man to reveal God to us. To relate God to us. And to redeem his people from their sins. Now folks, here's the deal. This symphony demands a response. This kind of symphony is something that should cause you to get on your feet and shout glory to God for it. It's something that ought to cause your heart to soar. Not just gathering around your tinsel and your tree at Christmas. The reality is Jesus could have been born in Bethlehem over a million times. But if he's never born in you, then you're lost. It is a historical fact. It's a historical fact. But if that historical fact does not become a reality in your heart, that's why the hymn writer says, be born in us tonight. Be born in us. So this event demands a response. What is your response to the Son of God entering to this world to be the Savior of the world? What's your response? Well, the only legitimate God-honoring response is faith. It's faith in him. The response is to believe in him. It is to trust him. If you live your whole life and just go from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas and have nice thoughts about a baby in a manger, you're not getting the big picture. The big picture is the Son of God entered into this world. And he didn't stay in a manger. 
But he lived and he died and he came forth from the grave. That's the story. As Jesus is standing before Pilate, listen to these words. Be careful as you listen to them because they indict every one of us. And remember this, you're accountable for what you hear. You are accountable for what you hear. Listen to John 18. Jesus is standing before Pilate and listen to this incredible statement. 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now check out verse 37. He's going to tell you why he came into the world, why he was born in Bethlehem. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. You understand that Christ the Lord came into this world. He was born for a purpose. It was to bear witness to the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father but through me. The king was the king from all eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 will tell us he is the exact image of the invisible God. That means he is co-existent, co-eternal with the Father. He's the Son of God for all eternity. He didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. He's existed for all eternity. The genesis of Jesus, of the origin of being born as a man, is given in Matthew. But the Son of God existed forever. He was the one who is perfectly suited to come into this world and to bear witness to the truth. That we might know our God. That we might glorify Him. That we might gain eternal life. Here's my prayer for you. Are you a person of the truth? If you haven't trusted Christ, then you're not. Why? For this purpose. For this reason. I have come into the world to bear witness. Say it. To the truth. My prayer is that every member of FBCO will be a person of the truth. Now hold on, is that all we're supposed to do with the truth? Why did Jesus come? He came to bear witness to the truth. What are we supposed to do if we're saved? Just get caught up in the fact that all of our Christmas presents are over in California, out in the sea, in a cubicle, and we can't get them? Who cares? Who cares? What we do care about is we've got a world that's dying and they're lost. And unless they become people of the truth, they will die and go to hell. And Jesus said, for this purpose, for this reason, I come into this world. I was born to bear witness to the truth. And what I've given you this morning is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. This is the truth. It introduces the king. It tells you how he came. It also tells you the purpose. Son saves sinners. That's the gospel. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you know the Lord? Are you a person of the truth? Have you trusted Christ as Lord? And for believers, are you testifying of and to 
that truth. Now, we know why the hymn writer would write, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Don't hear you. Oh, come, let us adore him. Say it. Christ the Lord. Holy Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, you are the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. We think about the bruising of the heel and the crushing of the head and we think about the four gleams of the gospel given all the way back in Genesis 3.15 and then we see Micah's prophecy and we see the prophecy in Isaiah child born, son given. Lord, we see the, the place we see incredible detail. Exodus out of Egypt. Warning to the wise men. We see you protecting the deliverer who would save us from our sins. God, we thank you for the glory of the incarnation. It is an incredible symphony that should cause our hearts to soar. Lord, help us, Lord, to think about the true meaning of Christmas just as you came to bear witness to the truth and we become people of the truth when we embrace you. Lord, help us to bear witness to that truth to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know the Lord today, we pray that you would embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. For this purpose, he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Believers, uh, let's, let's focus in the Advent season on who Christ is. Amen? All right, let's have a time of invitation. Let's sing together. Sing, O come, all ye faithful. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us sing one more verse but you got to do better than that all right just think about fall on your knees worship and adore him it'll come out in your life I'm just telling you if you give bland casual moderate tipping of the hat to the picture of a baby in a manger that's not radically heart-changing but when you know the Lord of glory and you worship him in spirit and in truth, it changes your whole life. You don't just get in here, blah, 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 you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, I should give you, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't give you any credit whatsoever. You ought to lift your voices to praise God. Worship and adore him. Amen? Amen. Some of you are going to, it's going to be more like a rupture when the rapture takes place. <laughs> Because you've been so out of giving him, you've been so misaligned with giving him the praise that he deserves. When you see him face to face, you're not even going to know where to start. Well, you're going to start on your face, I can promise you that. But when you do open your mouth, 
I mean, this is dress rehearsal, folks. And we don't do too good a job at it. Because we're worried about the person to our left and right. All right, let's sing. Sing choirs of angels. up here Dan and Daisy I didn't forget about y'all until the last minute <laughs> this is Dan Barker and this is Daisy Zook and speaking of betrothals they're going to be married on January 1st Amen. yep and they uh I don't know how much money this guy's got, but he's got me going over to the boot hill somewhere on January 1st. So I, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Dan asked him about doing his wedding, and I said, listen, if you're a member of my church and you ask me, I'm going to do it, whether it's on January 1st or not. So I rejoice with you all. Uh, both of them know the Lord. They've taken most of the new members' class. I think they may have missed one. And they both want to stand before you and tell you they want to be members of this particular local body. They both trusted Christ, both followed in believers' baptism. And I'm not sure we talked about transfer of letter, but we'll get all that worked out, all right? We'll get Don to help us with that. But here's our new members of our church, Daisy Zook and Dan Barker. Amen. All right. I had y'all go back there to the back, and they'll greet you. God bless you, brother. All right. I want to thank the McMurrays for helping us out with the Advent. And we have three more weeks, and there'll be other couples and families involved with the Advent candle. And so, praise God for the Incarnation Symphony. Amen? God be the glory. As we go, born thy people to deliver. Born thy people to 